This is Remixing, the Ithacan's music analysis and criticism podcast where guests curate a playlist of 8 to 10 songs that represents who they are. I'm your host, Arlie Rogers. In the first episode of our podcast this semester, I spoke with Naeem Anatala, a professor in the Department of Politics. His playlist, called Cultural Encounters, includes 10 songs that span different countries but are united by genre and sound. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing well, too. Thanks. Um, Yeah, so I'm super excited to talk about this playlist. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and this playlist and the music you like in general? Yeah, I'm a professor in the politics department. Uh, My specialty is political economy. I teach all kinds of courses, um, popular literature as well, music courses, film courses, and uh, literature courses. So this is, um, talking about music is one of my favorite things to do in the world. Um, I've been collecting music since I was 14. And both my sons are into music. And so this is a really musical household. So uh, I have a massive collection and it was really difficult to get it down to like 10 pieces. Yeah, I've heard guests say that before. It's kind of difficult to bring together like your identity into a group of 10 songs yeah, but it's a good exercise in editing it it teaches you what's what's important to you initially yeah yeah so um what were you thinking while you were making this playlist like what sort of identity or ideas were you trying to represent um my initial th- I, I, there are two thoughts my initial thought was this should be a tour of the world and i w- I, sh- I need to use this playlist to expose potential listeners to music they probably never heard, never knew about. And then I slept on it, and then in the morning I woke up, and, I, and the second idea was that I, it should be a list about how cultural inf- musical influences fuse or, or add together or mix. And then I thought, actually, I can do both of those. So this is simultaneously a list about di- music from different parts of the world, but also how those different musics influence each other. That's Those are the two themes, except for the last two cuts, which have a different theme. Hearing you talk about that makes a lot of sense in the context of me listening to this, because, I mean, one, I hadn't heard of any of these artists before. Zero? Zero of them? Yeah, I hadn't. So this is excellent, excellent. That's exactly what I'm after. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was really cool to learn about them, and then as I was doing research into what kind of music Um, or styles influenced all these musicians there's a lot of like crossovers or relationships between all of them in terms of like language or genre and I know we'll talk about that uh, extensively throughout this but that was one of my first impressions and I'm you know happy we're kind of on the same page even though a lot of this is new to me Um, so uh, are these songs in any particular order they are. I, I, ha- I, I dumped them into a list and then I arranged them. And since, since one of the main themes is drum, the drum and percussion, it starts in West Africa. And then we actually start to move away from West Africa, first south towards other parts of Africa, and then across to Brazil, north to Cuba. And then we end in the Middle East and then eventually where I'm from originally, which is Pakistan. So it has this tour and eight of the 10 pieces are, are very much in the arc of what I would call African diasporic music, which is percussively based, rhythmically based, and mm-hmm. about drums. 
Yeah. So you mentioned that you are film music professor as long as well as politics. Do you incorporate music into all of your teaching or is it um, just something for free time? There's two answers to that. One is that I have been teaching a music course for many years. I haven't done it recently, but it has had many names. The original name was Political Economy of African Diaspora Music. Then it shifted to Worlds of Music, which I taught with Professor Dr. Baruch Whitehead for a couple of years, and then it changed to a musical travel. And so I did that for about 10 or 12 different iterations. So that was officially my music course. But then um, in pre-COVID times, I always had music on when the students walked into the class. And I always planned that musical list on my drive to work and waited waited to to hear from the students about or that they'd never heard such a thing or what was that you know wait for those moments so so uh the subconscious plan was always to have music in the background from this kind of list music that they probably never heard before and did you feel like any of these songs um were absolutely necessary to include um whether they're just songs that you enjoyed or part of your like representing who you are um i don't know what you mean can you say more about what you mean when you say absolutely necessary a lot of people will say when they first approached a project like this they immediately thought of one song that they had to include to talk about or that represented like music that is very close to them no no um no i I didn't make this list from that basis if i had selected pieces that i had a strong emotional or biographical, or family, or national bond to, it would be a completely different mix. This is this is not so much a, a mix about me, although I love this music and I couldn't live without it. It's more a mix about what I think the world needs to hear. Yeah, not not part, not necessarily what my collection is composed of. The most meaningful aspects of my collection. All right. Well, let's dive right into the songs. So we're gonna. So you were saying that the first two songs on this are technically the same song. They're That's just right. listed separately. Okay. So the first one slash two songs that we'll be talking about are Synchro System Esai Ray by King Sunny Aid. Spotify is not always accurate. Both of these pieces are actually called um, um, Synchro System. That's also the name of the album. And the first piece is the, the drumming lead into that. It's, it's a variable pitch drum. It's called the talking drum. So it, there's a 40 second lead in and then, the, and the, then what I call the mini symphony starts. It's a, it's a seven, eight minute symphony. It's nothing less than that. So it's actually one tune called Synchro System. As you mentioned, this is from the 1983 album Synchro System, an album that sort of launched his career more into the spotlight. He had a he had a long career in West Africa and Nigeria before he became internationally famous. Island Records, uh, when they lost Bob Marley, they had to find another international star, and they picked Sunny Ade as that star. And uh, so this is among the first albums that he releases with Island Records, and the attempt is to make him into an international superstar like Bob Marley was. He was, you know, as you say, like a Nigerian musician. He kind of helped popularize um, juju music, which is this fusion of traditional uh, vocal forms of Yoruba, which is one of the three largest ethnic groups in Nigeria, and percussion with Western 
rock and roll. Um, yeah, you did your homework. I sure did. Yeah, I like to I like to do a little intro in the beginning to you know make sure everyone has that sort of background. So in the mid 1960s, he assembled his own juju band on uh, the Green Spots, later renamed the African Beats. That reflected this re-Africanization of the genre that had been growing um, since like the 1950s. Um, so the some of the trademarks of Juju that I think are very clear in this song are the call and response vocal structure um, with the added drums and guitar from the rock and roll sounds that he added, um, as well as um, the drums that sort of replicate the sounds of Yoruba language. His, his immediate competitor is Fela Kuti. And so he's trying to distinguish his sound from Fela Kuti, but they're both borrowing similar things from each other. Can you tell me a little bit about why you chose this song? Yeah, the, the, the first, first reason is because I, I want to get the listener to be aware of the sound of a talking drum. Yeah, variable pitched. You can squeeze it and it gives you different notes. And then I want you, uh, the listener to, uh, to hear what a, African, a West African symphony might sound like. Yeah? We are familiar with Beethoven, but this is, this is a, basically an eight-minute West African symphony. I wanted everybody to hear the complexity, the richness, the depth of it. So these are, this is the reason why I picked this first one. So we could hear the drumming and we could see how that drumming is incorporated into a more a symphonic mode. Yeah, that the word symphony is so, I think, appropriate and perfect for this song because I'm really fascinated by music that doesn't need to be elaborate or deviate from the beat that it's set straight from the beginning. And a lot of times, particularly in, the, in this song, the um, call and response technique and the drums, they only grow stronger rather than becoming repetitive or boring, which I think would be my initial thought when I'm, when I, you know, maybe was first approaching music that was, you know, didn't deviate too much from, um, you know, from what it was in the beginning. But I think the more that I've uh, talked about music with the podcast and um, just been interested in music in general, like that sort of structure can be really powerful. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a piece I can't live without. So this, this is actually emotionally and biographically really important to me. Nice. Okay. Um, well, then it's a perfect way to start off the playlist. Um. Yeah, one last thing I would add is that when I play this song for my uh, students, in, in, even in the music class students, they actually can't hear the talking drum uh, within the piece. And they try and they try and they can't hear it. It's, and it's because they haven't been taught to listen to small percussion. But small percussion is actually the back foundational backbone of West African music, as far as I can tell. And especially in this particular piece, that's why I want the drummer, the listener to hear the drumming first. And then when they hear the symphonic version of it, they might be able to stay with the talking drum. The talking drum is the most important improvising instrument in this piece. And so if you, if the first time you hear it, if you stick with the talking drum throughout the piece, that would be a very good thing. You'll see how uh, the talking drummer is the master drummer of this of this piece, organizes this piece. It's not Sonny Ade who's the master drummer. It's his, he hires the master drummer and then the master drummer actually take controls of the piece, takes control of the piece, even though the structure is delivered by Sonny Ade. Mm -hmm. Cool. 
So sticking with the um, the theme of drumming, um, which I guess is kind of the whole theme of the playlist. But the first eight tunes, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the next song we'll be discussing is Gabata by the Master Drummers of Dagbon. This is from uh, Master Drummers of Dagbon Volume 1 from 1985. Um, so I initially had some trouble finding information on them, and that's when I noticed they have 95 monthly listeners on Spotify. Um and uh, I found this one article, um, this guy named John Chernoff, that kind of, he kind of analyzes volumes one, of, one and two. Um, and they're, you know, they're an African drum, drum group, but they're not necessarily, like group doesn't really feel like the right word to me because they're joined together by not professional affinity, but rather like culture and the way that music has a role um, and specifically drum music has a role in their culture. Um, and he has, uh, Chernoff has this quote in the article from one of um, his drumming masters that says, to talk of drumming, you cannot talk of it and finish. As we are drumming, every drumming has got its name. And again, every drumming has got its dance. So every playing is different. And in drumming, everyone has got his hand. So no one can know everything about drumming. Everyone only knows, uh, everyone knows only to his extent. If you want to know everything, what are you going to do and to end know it? Um, yeah, that's actually yeah. a quote from, from his teacher. Yeah. Uh, Ira, yeah. From, uh, uh, John Miller Chernoff's teacher. Uh, is, this is a quote from him in his book right here. I'm forgetting the name of, of his teacher and master drummer. Yeah. I have a bunch of stories about this particular piece. Let me let me start with a biographical story. I was it was in 1975 that I bought the album. I remember the store. I remember the day. I remember the cover. I remember paying three dollars ninety five cents for it. I remember taking it back to my room and putting it on and thinking to myself, I have no idea what this music is about. <laughs> so I put it away, but I never I never sold the record. Yeah, I kept it. Something I, somehow I knew that there was something important about this record. So now cut to, um, you know, uh, I think it's um, late 1990s, and I'm teaching this course um, for the first time, Music of the African Diaspora. I call my friend Joel and I say, listen, Joel, you know, how am I going to teach this course? You got anything, you know, and he said, listen, no matter what you do, here's the book you got to include. This is the best book, musical book I've ever read. And it was John Miller Chernoff's African Rhythm, African Sensibility. And so... Then I, I bought the book, and I use it every single time that I teach the course. It's a magnificent book. It's one of the best books I've ever read in my life, so Joel was completely right. And it, it takes you through the music of the Dagbon from Ghana. And then I looked at the, I looked at, and I thought to myself, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I went back through my record collection, and, and there it was, the record that I bought in 1975. Exactly the same music, and I and I turned it on. I you know I read the book, I played the music, and it just didn't do anything for me. I couldn't understand it. Then one, so I decided to include it in my uh, mix on my iPod, and I you know I listen to music when I work out. And one day I was working out, and this piece of music came up, and I thought to myself, why am I going to listen to this again? Every time I listen to this piece of music, I never get it. And then boom, all of a sudden, I got it. Something clicked, and then I couldn't get enough of this music. It was some, something had clicked in my mind. 
so the reason that so that's the biographical part of it, but the reason the musical part of this is that what King Sanyade has and Felicuti have done is they've taken this drum ensemble and they've given the parts to guitars. So the guitars in both King Sanyade's music and in Fela's music do not function as guitars that we understand them to function. They function as drums. So what I wanted the reader to understand is that this is a drum ensemble with the master drummer as a lead drummer, but every other part is also playing a role. And this is the foundation that Filikuti and Sunny Ade, among others, have incorporated into their sound. Mm -hmm. That's such a fantastic story. <laughs> and I think it's so, I think it can be universal in a lot of ways where, you know, you approach a piece of music and you don't understand it or you just don't like it very much. And then there's a moment of clarity where you recognize, you know, the, the expertise and the excitement that comes from rediscovering something or discovering something for the first time. Um, yeah. You know, the That's funny a, thing a is... Great story to tell. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> One of the amazing things is that some of my students who hear it for the very first time, they get it right away. Very few, like in a class of 25, it might be one student who gets it right away. And I look at that student, I look at that student, I think, you know, it took me 20 years to get this sound. How did you get it right away? I cannot get, sometimes I don't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to, um, when I, usually what I do when I'm preparing for these is when I'm writing about the song, I listen to it just on loop. So I'm constantly thinking about it while I'm writing it. Um, and I think doing that was... I think it was helpful specifically with this piece because I was just focused on that and I was solely focusing on this and like the background of it and what it means and all of that. Um, but yeah, it was cool. And it's, it was a nice follow-up to um, the piece before. I think it, it flowed very well. Next up, we have Remember Fella by Gang Bay Brass Band. This is from the 2004 album, Wendo. Um, I think this was my favorite song on the playlist. So why'd you choose it? Well, um, one reason is that it's it, the continuity of the th three pieces so far is the talking drum, right? The talking drum is still centrally featured. And then there are two other reasons I selected this. One is that what, what Africans do to Africanize everything, yeah? So Ladysmith Black Mambaso, for example, which I didn't include in this list, is harmony, but the way that Africans har Africanize harmony is amazing. And so what you've got here is the brass band, right? Brass band. And we don't think of West African music when we think of brass band, but look at what they've done with this piece. They have they have they've used the brass band, especially the tuba, and they have made it into a West African percussion piece. So that was the second reason, you know. And the third reason is that the more I listened to this and the more my students wrote about this, I thought, wow, this is an extraordinary composition. The way it changes pace, the way it changes the texture, the way it moves from movement to movement, extraordinary. It never it never goes more than a couple of minutes before all together changing things up and and yet it all fits together i completely agree with all of that it's like just a gorgeous combination of the african musical traditions we've been talking about with like jazz and big band sounds and 
um, you know, as a, like a 10 member West African band, it's so, um, feels sort of theatrical, like in a dramatic and exciting way, um, listening to it. Yeah, it's a party piece. I mean, it's all party music. And there's another reason I selected as well, because um, Fela, I mean, I did not include a piece by Fela because I thought everybody already would know about Fela, but it's dedicated to Fela, right? And it's the name Fela is in there. So yeah, very much, Fela's shadow is very much in these first few pieces. This is one of the bands that I have not seen. I've seen King Semiade and um, uh, I've seen people playing the talking drum, but I would love to be in front of this band and be able to dance to their music. I really, one day it's going to happen because they tour a lot and they're still going strong. So hopefully they'll come to Ithaca. Fourth song is We've Landed by Tony Allen and Hugh um, Masekela. Um, this is a closing song on the 2020 album Rejoice. Um, and just a little bit about them individually. Tony Allen is a Nigerian musician. Um, he's in part the reason why Afrobeat was popular and kind of came about. Afrobeat is a combination of uh, Yoruba rhythms um, that we've been talking about with funk elements. He collaborated with Fela Kuti, who we've been talking about in the group Africa 70, um, and he died April 30th, 2020, just five weeks after Rejoice was released. Hugh Masekela was a South African trumpeter. Um, the trumpet, of, of course, in this song is very prominent and just so excellent, um, but he combines jazz styles with so South African music tones He's also explored pop, R&B, disco, Afropop, um, and he also played um, beside Fela Kuti in Africa 70, um, and he died in 2018, making this the last album for both musicians. Um, and I believe this album was recorded in 2010 and then was released 10 years later, like 2010 was the time that their schedules finally aligned that they could collaborate on this. So Hugh Masekela came to Ithaca. He came to... Uh, uh... Uh, trim, the uh, Finger Lakes Festival many years ago, and I didn't really pay that much attention to him at that particular time. And I've never been that crazy about his sound until I heard this album. Um, and so Tony Allen also came to Ithaca, um, and he came as a solo artist, and he was invited by uh, friends of mine who had a band called Big Mean Sound Machine. These are Ithaca grads. Many of these people were Ithaca students and they formulated this band, Big Mean Sound Machine, and they invited Tony Allen to come to Ithaca and he gave a workshop. And um, then, so, you know, I began to think that Tony Allen is, is as good a drummer as Alvin Jones. My favorite drummer of all time is Alvin Jones from the jazz tradition. And then recently I began to think, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's ways in which nobody can do what Tony Allen can do. And so I ended up, I've ended up with the conclusion that it's possible that Tony Allen's the greatest drummer that ever lived, or at least the greatest drummer that I've ever heard. And so one more thing about Tony Allen. Afrobeat is, you know, Sunny Ade gave the name Juju music to his style, and Fela gave the, the name Afrobeat to his style. But the formulation of Afrobeat is not just Fela's invention. It is the invention of these two people together, Fela Kuti and Tony Allen. Tony Allen was in charge of the whole percussion section. He's the master drummer of that particular group. And he, he has this, 
you know, I have a bunch of albums that I'm listening to now by Tony Allen, and sometimes all I do is just listen to his drumming. He has this ability to sustain the band as a whole without being himself noticed. But if you pay attention only to him, there's a whole thing going on. It's like four limbs of producing this incredible percussion ensemble that you don't have to notice. It's in the background. But if you paid attention, you would be amazed by what he's doing there. And this is in every every album I've ever heard of his. He's got this particular style. So I love this. The reason I selected this piece was because <coughs> excuse me, it combines the South African tradition, which is um, based in harmony, harmony really, you know, not as much percussion as the rest of West Africa, like West Africa. And so harmony in South Africa is a result of the fact that more than any other place on the continent, they were colonized the longest. And so the musical tradition seeped in, but they reinterpreted harmony and Africanized it. And what we're getting in this album is the South African sensibility of the melodic element and the harmonic elements combined with the, 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 the delicate but intense percussion that Tony Allen brings from West Africa. So it's West Africa meets South Africa. And this is an incredible album. It's simultaneously gorgeous, to use one of your words, but also richly percussive. Yeah, yeah. and I think because of those qualities, it fits very well into the playlist, but on its own is incredibly strong. Um, and I believe this is the last song on the album. And because it is their last album as musicians it kind of it kind of hits this like low note and doesn't end in a totally satisfying way for me and I just thought it was a little sad and also kind of you know perfect that this uh, incredible legacy that they both had have you know ended um so recently and and yeah yeah well I mean one story about about uh, Tony Allen um when he was here at Ithaca, he was doing his workshop, and there must have been a hundred of us at the presentation. And somebody said, "You know, can you play something for us?" And there were um, there was a drum kit set up, and he got up. He's he got up from the panel. He sat down from the drum kit, and he could not play. And he said, "Listen, I can't do this unless there's another percussionist." And so one of the members of Big Mean Sound Machine went into his car, picked, got out a bunch of percussions and sat down next to him and Tony said this is what I want you to play and and so uh, the percussionist started playing and then oh and then and only then did Tony start playing and the, and the reason for that is this is in fact no such thing as a solo in in the West African tradition you have to play with others and in response to others and this which kind of takes us to the metaphysics of uh, African sociology because because in the Western tradition, even in jazz and rock and roll, a transcendent solo is really the, the highest that you can get. But in the West African tradition that I've been trying to represent here, and especially in this story, Tony, Tony Allen cannot do that. He cannot just solo. He has to play with another person. He has to play with another, uh, another musician and to, and to um, riff off what the other person is doing. Our next song um, is the one that I had reached out to you about. So uh, some of this I'm just going to, I've copy and pasted from your email and feel free to um, add anything as I'm going along. Um, this is Saudauji by Os Kiosos. This is um, 
something that I struggled finding information for because I looked it up and I, I couldn't find anything about them specifically. Um, I found a little bit about um, the genre, but not anything that would really benefit the conversation. So some of this that I'm going to be talking about is from an email you sent me. This is from Angola Soundtrack 2 on Spotify. It's from the 2015 album Angola Anos Doro uh, Reviver uh, Os Quiesos. Um, but in your email, you said that this band uh, was a leading band in a musical moment that lasted from about 1968 to 1975, a period that was, you know, very uh, fertile and important for all sorts of political and military reasons. Um, and their sound is influenced by ref, uh, West African music, the music of the Congo, and especially Samba of Brazil. The biographical part of this is the, one of my students sent me this album. Uh, she's a cellist and I think getting her PhD, where is that? I think in Yale. And uh, I thought, oh my God, I've never heard anything like this. And then when I got, um, actually every single piece on both Angola Soundtrack 1 and Angola Soundtrack 2 is just phenomenal. And what you, what you notice here is, or at least what I noticed here, is that these are not as um, musically dense as either Filakuti, Gangbe Brass Band, or Sunny Ade. What you get is about seven or eight instruments, so there's a lot more space. And you get to he hear each instrument work. And you get these very sweet guitars on top of that. And there's there's just something light and playful and um, a, almost a perfect blend of, on the one hand, like the sweet guitars from the West African tradition. There's a strong influence from Congo, from the Congo. Here again, the guitar influence is strong. But also this Brazilian influence, yeah? So this is the Portuguese colonies in Africa. There are two or three, and Angola is a Portuguese colony. So they have a relationship, Angola does, with Brazil. So um, Angola has this musical genre called semba, which is similar to samba. And, and so I could immediately recognize the Brazilian influence here. So a beautiful mix of Congolese, West African, and Brazilian music but in a very almost sparse, uh, instead of complex and dense, this is more light and energetic and, and almost happy. And I don't, I don't think I've ever heard anything quite like this. So I just, um, I think for two years in a row, I couldn't stop playing this yeah. album. Cool. Um, so I think it works very well as like our center uh, or you know, middle-ish point of the playlist. We're starting to hear those Brazilian influences um, and we're starting to move away sort of from that drum heavy, uh, you know, sound that we've been he hearing for the first four songs. Um, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I truly enjoyed listening to this. Did you, did you, I mean, did you, you didn't find it kind of too insubstantial or um, thin? Um. No, I don't think so. I think it, um, I remember thinking, you know, maybe compared to the rest of these songs, um, but I still think it stands pretty well on its own. Yeah. I, I, when I compared to the rest of these songs, I think you get here uh, the, a melodic, uh, the melody becomes important for the first time. Cool. 
We're moving on to the sixth song on this playlist, Vida Gal by Daniela Mercury. This is the 1996 album, um, Felijao Com Arroz. Um, she's a Brazilian singer, songwriter, dancer, producer, actress, television host, many hats. Um, and I found this New York Times article from 2019 describing one of her concerts. Um, and she, uh, the writer describes it as a plunge into a pulsing, hyper-energized fantasia, um, and the stage teams with dancers in billowing Afro-Brazilian garb, a battery of drums, pounds out the rhythms, um, the densely percussive pop native to Salvador that Mercury made famous. Um, this song is exciting and upbeat, and uh, she has this really fun, energetic uh, voice and, and presence that I think I really enjoyed. Um, what about you? Brazil is a place that is um, really richly famous for its music. And the, the women singers have extraordinary voices and extraordinary energy. And, and uh, um, Daniela Mercury, for me, has this booming, rich voice and unbelievable energy. And unlike a lot of other Brazilians, she is very happy to incorporate the African element as a part of her heritage. So, so uh, where the the rich, thick percussive elements of samba are very different from what we hear in Cuba and what we hear in West Africa and what we hear from South Africa, and they're uniquely Brazilian in particular ways. And what she's done is that she's she's made that percussive. Uh, the percussion, the foundation of each of her pieces, and then on top of that percussion found, percussive foundation, she lets loose with her incredible voice and with her incredible energy. And it's, I dare anyone not to be kind of still in the face of this particular song. You can't be still and you can't, you can't but reach out into the sky and think to yourself, my God, I'm in the presence of of." of of something that's energizing me completely. Do you feel like um, maybe just in the context of this playlist, like having that African drum beat as the foundation and then building on it and making this like explosive, exciting uh, melody work better for you or appeals to you more than just having it um, like some of the songs we've talked about before, like as the drum beat is the song? Um, I think in my in my email to you, one of the things I said was that late in my, um, you know, like about when I was 50 or so, um, I discovered that I had been systematically denied um, an education, a musical education in percussion, in rhythm, in the genius of African music. So I taught myself uh, to listen to small percussion, you know, to pay attention to the small percussion, to pay attention to rhythms to pay uh, attention to um, percussive ensembles. And, and so I got used to listening to music that didn't have any vocals and that was pri primarily percussion, percussion ensembles. So when I, when, I heard, when I got to Brazil and when I started listening to this music, I thought, oh my God, yes, I can still hear every last detail 
of the percussion ensemble. And on top of that, I have this voice. Now, if I'd have done it the other way around, I don't think that would have happened. If I'd have, if I'd have gone into Brazilian music and didn't know anything about percussion ensembles, I would have been swept away by her voice and her energy without understanding that it's actually the percussion ensemble that's holding everything down for her. So I loved it. I loved, I loved my encounter with Brazilian music because it seemed to me I was finally ready to leave my, like I said, I had constrained myself almost 10 years to listen to only percussion music. And now when I was in Brazil, I thought I can, I can liberate myself to listen to melody and harmony, harmony again. I'd released myself from my percussion basis and, and allowed myself to hear melody and, and, and harmony again. And you can, you can see it, you can hear all three of them in this particular piece. Yeah, that's such a fascinating approach. And I think, um, with my extremely brief uh, experience listening to this, um, after listening to all the songs that are so drum focused, like I kind of felt like that was that was the necessary focus of this song as well, um, like along with her her voice and the energy. Moving on to "Isle de Luz" by Ile Aie. This is from the two thousand one album Black Chant. Uh, this is the opening song of the album. Um, and the this group is a carnival block, which is like a street street band from Salvador, uh, Bahia, Brazil. Um, the name of the group again stems back to um a Yoruba word um or the Yoruba words home and life um and so people have kind of interpreted that as eternal heaven. Um, the group in particular raised awareness about the Bayan black community which police and the media persecuted during its first the group's first few years years in existence um you know they had a controversial statement where they were only allowing black members um to parade with the group at um Baez carnival um they're pioneers of uh a carnival group known as bloco afro uh, which focused on celebrating culture's history and the beauty of black people um they're also responsible or can be attributed to for this cultural revolution in Brazil that um, kind of gave black men and women um, confidence, I guess, or empowerment to express themselves through uh, their hairstyles or how they dressed, um, kind of revolting against this longstanding racism that had existed there um, because a lot of their music praised African culture and history. Um, so yeah, why did you choose this song? Yeah, I thought I thought uh, we would go, you know, from uh, Daniela Mercury, we would strip luminous voice, strip it down to its basics. So this 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 uh, piece of music is a lot like Cuban rumba. There are only two elements: drums and voice. And um, I'm, I love the voices in here because they do not try to overpower the drums and. The drumming is what's important to me here, but the combination of the two is fantastic. And of all the Brazilian music that I have in my collection, and you know, it's vast. Brazilian music is vast. This is, this is probably my favorite band for the simplicity of its elements, for the foundational quality of its elements. Drums, voice, and the two working together. And it's again strips down all the other music to these two basic qualities. Yeah. 
So it connects us back to, to West Africa, this is African diasporic music, but it shows us that there's this addition of, of the quality of the voice and the voices on top of this. There's something there. I could never stop listening to this song. You could play it for me a hundred times and I would be totally into it. And Cuban music, the, the rumba of Cuban music does the same thing to me. Two elements, drums and voice, but in a very different way. The, the, the percussion elements and the voice elements are very different in Cuban music than in Brazilian music. But this takes us to the foundations. Probably, I think, of all, of all music from Brazil. Even bossa nova can be reducible to this, these two qualities, voice and drums. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you know, we could probably boil down this playlist to just that voice and drums and we could talk about that right. for hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The political stuff that you mentioned is really important. I'm not a, uh, not as uh, learned about that as I should be. There are three um, blocos, as they're called, and they're all Afrocentric. Uh, Olodum is another one, and Timbalada is another one, and uh, Iliai is, I think, how you say the name of this particular bloco. It's not just a band, it's a community. And it's a political community and it's a cultural community. And as you pointed out, it's it, for them it's really important to front front the to, to front load the Afro elements of Brazilian culture. Moving on to our next song is La Citiera, the small farm by Chucho Valdez. Uh, this is from the 1998 album Bele Bele and La Habana. Um, he's a Cuban piano player, composer, highly influential in Latin and Afro-Cuban jazz. He played in the Latin jazz ensemble Era uh, Carre um, with influences from rock, funk, classical, and traditional Cuban rhythms. Um, he's also four-time Grammy winner, three-time Latin Grammy winner, and inducted into Latin Songwriters Hall of Fame. And so in some ways, nobody can compare to Keith Jarrett because uh, Keith Jarrett can do jazz and he can do classical. He can do Mozart. He can, you know, he can do all that. And he's, Keith Jarrett is so prolific. But there's an argument to be made that Chucho Valdez is the greatest pianist in the world. Not that we have to rank them. Nevertheless, we could do this for the sake of fun. And because he can, he is the absolute master of jazz, and he's also the absolute master of Afro-Cuban music. So in his hands, the, the piano turns from a melodic instrument to a percussive, percussive instrument in a snap. And he moves from one style to the other style flawlessly. I've heard him twice, and those have been two of the greatest experiences of my life. And he's, um, I have a biographical story here as well. I remember one year I was in my office for the whole summer doing research on a book. And I only had uh, two albums on, eight hours a day for the whole summer. And they were both his albums, this one and another one called Religion of the Congo. And I would just have those two albums on auto repeat. And for three months, that's all I listened to. And I, I'm still listening to these albums in this cut and never getting enough. There's, there's, um, I mean, I don't know. There's something about, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to say this. I think Cuban music is the greatest music in the world. <laughs> and there's, 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 um, there's a swing to it. There's a, there's a longing to it. There's a percussive sensibility to it. There's this melodic 
fine-tunedness to it. Oh, my God. And um, I could have picked two other pianists who are both Cubans to, to represent my case. One is his father, Bebo Valdez, and another one is uh, a guy who's younger than Chucho Valdez, Roberto Fonseca. So um, without hesitation, I would say Cuban pianists are the greatest pianists in the world. And Chucho is just the giant, the giant. The only one that I, that gives him any competition in my in my collection, at least, is Keith Jarrett. But that kind of compares artists without really talking about the music. Um, I don't know. I really don't know how to talk about his music. What he does, it's like um, being at sea and being perfectly balanced, even though your ship is rolling up and down on 30-foot waves. There you are, rolling up and down on 30-foot waves, and there's a storm going on, and yet, in his hands, all is calmness. All yeah. is good. <laughs> you talk about that like that's the easiest thing to put into words. Um, like, yeah, I always struggle with talking about jazz because... I'm not a player or musician really myself. And so I'm not really sure, you know, I know it sounds good and I really enjoy listening to it. Um, so this is, this is one of the songs I enjoyed very much, but I'm not really sure how to talk about it. Like I love the middle of the song where he sort of cascades up the piano and then comes crashing back down and then slowly makes his way back up. Um, and yeah, it's smooth and controlled and, um, you know, excellent as a result. Smooth and controlled. And then all of a sudden he unleashes his left hand and there are all these low notes that are just the chords from his left hand are just bouncing around the room. And you think to yourself, oh, my God, where'd this storm come from? And before you knew yeah. it, boom, he's right back into the into the melody. Oh, my God, <laughs> how did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, maybe that's what makes it so great. Like not, not knowing exactly how it works yeah, or yeah. just knowing that it's so good and like, that's good enough. Yeah. I think one other way to talk about it is that, that, uh, you know, in, in the, in the um, late sixties and early seventies, jazz itself went atonal. So you have Thero Saunders, Sun Ra, uh, the Art Ensemble of Chicago, and they broke notes and they broke melodies and they broke rhythms and they tried to explore what was inside of them once you broke all these things. And so what you see in Chucho is not only being able to synthesize jazz and Afro-Cuban, it's also being able to synthesize, like he's perfectly comfortable destroying the melody, destroying the rhythm, destroying any anything that you, you know, he's just going to make it into a world of darkness and then on a dime, right back to the melody, right back to the tonality, right back to the rhythm. From one one second to the next, he can go either way. Uh, just unbelievable. Yeah, completely agree. Cool. Um, so now these last two, two songs were sort of stepping away from the African drum beat Brazilian influence, correct? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so our ninth song is About Wayne's Beak by Warda. Um, this is from the 19, 1992 album of the same name. Um, Spotify lists her as just Warda, but her full stage name uh, was Warda Al Jazaria. Um, and she first became popular in North Africa and the Middle East. Um, she was successful, one of the most famous Arab singers of all time for a while, and then she went into retirement and became a housewife and then came out 
um, and had an even more successful career. Um, and her husband opposed that, but she later divorced him, so it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, she recorded a number of hit songs, um, performed for Arab audiences around the world, and appeared in a number of really good movies. Um, so yeah, why did you why did you decide to shift away from um, the African drum beat style that we've been exploring? In a sense, it's not disconnected from Africa because who's to say that the Mediterranean is not a part of Africa? Who's to say the Middle East is not also an extension of Africa? So that's one of the things I wanted to bring up. And and all of this music from the Middle East is actually what I call Mediterranean music or Ottoman music. And it has a quality that's very different from the African styles, both in terms of the ensemble, how the, how the strings ensemble is certainly suddenly part of the music. And the percussive sensibility is still there, but it's very different from South Africa and West Africa. And, but the main reason that I wanted to include this particular piece is because of this performer's voice and what she's able to do with her voice. It, it, is, it, it is not only seductive, it's sexual. This, this, this voicing is incredibly sexual in the sense that she's... Just the voice, voice itself is luring you into its into into the into the person, and and I, I I can never stop listening to this and never think to myself that I've had enough of this. There's a long tradition of incredibly powerful uh, women vocalists in in Mediterranean music and Middle East music in Ottoman music. Those two things mean the same to me, and I had to pick one. You know, there I could have picked three or four others. But uh, this is the, this is, I picked this one because uh, in our house this is our go-to for when we want this particular feeling, this feeling of cultural richness with a kind of seductive music that invites you in. Yeah, yeah. I think um, what also adds to that, like inviting nature, is the beautiful strings and like dramatic orchestra at the beginning um it shocked me for a moment because I didn't I wasn't uh anticipating that um as the beginning um but I really enjoyed it and also I mean if this is a song that you can't get enough of like it's 13 minutes long it certainly gives you enough to listen to and um yeah and she doesn't even come yeah. in until five minutes um, yeah that's what I thought I thought this was gonna be another instrumental um and then I you know I uh, was doing my research and I was like, obviously she has this amazing voice. She's going to come in eventually. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's also just stylistically on the playlist works very well too. If this is going to be our introduction to something a little different than what we've been talking about, like why not introduce it dramatically and with this like beautiful um, yeah, introduction. Yeah. So well, well placed. <laughs> <laughs> nice contrast to the, yeah. <laughs> to the African drumming stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, she she really does have a a very beautiful seductive voice um, that that matches very well with the um, with instrumentals that she's singing along with. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I like about this piece also is both the the strings and uh, her use of voice. There are, there are seconds where there's nothing like it's just yeah the the whole the whole band pauses for one, two, three, four, five, six seconds, and there's nothing. 
wow, that is so dramatic. And then also her voice, she does that with her voice too. She'll just stop singing for a couple of seconds and you think, bring it back, bring it back. <laughs> Our last song of the playlist, um, this is Kab Auge Tam Auge by Amina Ali Khan and Fateh Ali Khan. This is from their 1978 album, Rag Se Gazal Tak. Um, so you mentioned that this is um, something that's close to home for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Uh, it's home for me in two or three different senses of the word. First, a little biography. Um, uh, this, is a, this is what we would call Pakarag. That's the Urdu word, okay, or the Hindi word. Um, and it's what we might call classical South Asian music. And the, the apex of classical South Asian music is not the sitar, the sarag, it's vocals. Okay. So um, these, these two gentlemen are, well, neither of them are alive anymore, but um, they're Pakistani, and I'm from, originally from Pakistan, so I wanted to include that. But I also wanted to tell this story. First time I had, first time I heard this music was late at night with my mother when I was probably 14 years old on television. And then I went and got the cassette. Then I went and got the album. Then when albums were no longer around, I went and got the CD. And, and now it's part of my MP4 or 3 or whatever collection. So I have this piece of music in every format. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't live without it. And um, so it's also in the language that uh, my mother and father one of their languages use and and um, the meaning of this song is um, uh, wh when are you going to come home which is what my mother always says to me <laughs> <laughs> nice. when are you going to come home right and so um, if I ever feel like I need to be home there's two ways to do that one is to make something that is uh, from my mother's kitchen and the other way is to play this particular album tune but there's a there's a third way in which is this is home for me and that is um it um the way that the lyrics are bent the way that the sound is bent is something that was in my body as knowledge before i became aware of my likes and dislikes in music before i started studying this so this is for me, this is this music is home in the sense that it's primordial. So it's about coming home. It's music that I've heard in my house, and it's also music that that is home in my body. Yeah, that idea of um, associating music with a specific time and place, like particularly something as strong as home, is something that really fascinates me. It's something I've talked about on the podcast before, um, and it's. I, I like songs more when I have a deeper connection to them. Um, and yeah, I think it's a, it's a beautiful way to end the playlist with something that, um, you know, after showing all these songs that you feel like people should listen to, ending with a song that while is important for people to listen to that also has like this deep family connection to you. Yeah, but I want to say one more thing about that so that I'm not misunderstood here. Uh, when I was a teenager, I listened to Cat Stevens and Elton John, and uh, and uh, 
Paul Simon and Garfunkel and all that. And the Beatles, I had every Beatle album. And um, when I started teaching the course on the music of the African diaspora, um, I asked the students to play and analyze the music, but I also did, they asked me to do the same thing. So I went back to some of this music and I, for example, the Beatles. And I thought to myself, no, this does not stand up anymore. Now that I've done a tour of the music of the world and I go back to the stuff that I loved when I was 14 and 15, this music does not stand up. So I discarded it. This um, piece by Amanat Ali Khan and Fatih Ali Khan stands up. So I, I listened to it when I was very young, but now if I re-listen to it with my critical ears, it's still there. The other the other band that's still there for me from my teenage days is uh, Santana. Yeah? There are some pieces that still stand up, but um, one of the prices to be paid for developing a critical ear is that that you lose your capacity to enjoy the music that you once knew. I can I cannot listen to Paul Simon. Cannot do it. In part because he's a thief. <laughs> he rips off uh, various artists that we're talking about here but also in part because I I'm embarrassed now by the simplicity of my tastes, by the thinness of my tastes, by the, by the lack of, of, uh, of uh, consciousness. I mean, what do, you, what do you know when you're 14? Not much, but that doesn't mean we have to hold on to what we listen to. That's one of the things I try to get across to my students in my classes. So yeah, this is home, but this is a piece of music that stood an evaluation once I've traveled around the world. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes it all the more powerful because after after so much time has passed, um, you're still able to return to it and still have those positive feelings. I'm not sure I've had, I mean, I guess maybe like, I'm trying to think of music that I would listen to when I was younger and think back at it and just be like that, why, why? But <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. That is a, such a, I like, I imagine, is that sort of like, I don't know, frustrating in a way to go back and be like this music that I listened to was sort of a waste of time? No, no, no. I, I don't, I don't think of it like that. I, I think, I think um, I forgive myself for being young, right? And, and it's also an indication of growth. You know, so it'd be, wouldn't it be terrible if you went to Paris and you came back and you thought to yourself, oh, I miss my burger and fries. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank God I'm speaking English again. You know, wouldn't that be terrible? So, but if, but if you, but if you go, if you go, if you do a tour around the world and you listen, you attune your ears to all the different styles of world music and their rich cultural heritage and you come back to your own and you discard a whole bunch of your own music, nothing wrong with that it's, it's i think there's you know one of the things we talked about at the beginning of this was how your writing criticism allows you to enter the music in a different way than if you didn't have criticism right so this is the same idea you 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 tour the world with a critical sensibility about the world the musical world and then you come home and you ask yourself okay What's still good about home? What's still, what sucks about home? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two more things about this piece. One is I'm going to predict that you had the most difficult time with this piece. Yeah, I think so. 
I feel like, um, I don't know. I'm not sure it left as lasting an impression on me as some of the other ones. Um, you know, I'm not sure why, but I think I was struck more by, I mean, maybe obvious reasons. I was struck more by the drum heavy, drum forward songs um, than some of the later ones. So, so this is, this is uh, um, sometimes when I teach my music course, I have a whole section on uh, South Asian vocal music. And um, most of the students can't relate to it, right? In the same way that I couldn't relate to the drummers of the Dagbone when I, was, when I bought the album back in 1975. But every once in a while, uh, I have a student who listens to, to versions of this music, puts their head down on their desk, and cries. And then I talk to him afterwards and I say, you know, that's exactly what this music is trying to elicit in you. It's pathos. The music is about pathos. And then I ask myself, how is it that these two people, you know, once every five years, three people, three of my students have had this experience. They get the song the very first time and then they, it enters their body as home, right? They understand the pathos immediately and they cry. You know, just amazing to me how that can happen. What, I mean, have you, have they explained to you like through essays or conversations, like what about it, uh, what about this song they got immediately? Like, did they get that home sense after listening to it? I'm still working on each of these students. I, I still have relationships with each of these three. And one of them is a recent graduate of the English department. And I am trying to get him to, and he's become massively addicted to classical South Asian music. Uh, he might have a bigger collection now than I do. But I'm trying to get him to write about why he's so, you know, like instantly bonded with this stuff. And we'll see. I'll work on it. Maybe he can produce an essay for me. He can explain or like has the words for right now. Like it's just a feeling. But he's got to come up with the words. True. <laughs> <laughs> I need him to, I need, and the other two also, Katrina, Katerina, and my student Katerina from way back, and my student mm -hmm. Maggie. I need them to come up with the words for this. Yeah. Hmm. Well, if they get back to you, let me know. I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's it. Okay. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. This was an incredible conversation. That was Remixing. You can listen to names, playlists, cultural encounters on Spotify, linked in the description. I'd like to thank Ileana, our podcast editor, and today's guest, Naeem. It's so exciting to be back recording and talking about music the way we think about and criticize it and how certain songs always have a lasting impact on us. You can listen to Remixing on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Music. Follow The Ithacan on Instagram and Twitter at Ithacan Online and like us on Facebook. Thanks to our listeners for being part of this week's mixtape.